This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. So hello and welcome to Tampa Tantrum, episode the something. Um, we're doing a special one today, I'm joined by my friend and special guest, Erwin, Erwin Maresh. Say hello to the nice Tampa Tantrum people. Hello, nice temper tantrum people. They're not nice. They're all horrible. They're all coffee professionals. They're all douches, douchey baristas. Um, <laughs> I've just alienated our whole audience. Um, yeah, now welcome to this special one. Erwin uh, is a little bit of a legend in coffee world. Uh, I'm still not allowed to call him a coffee farmer, though, because your dad said I wasn't allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, he says that I'm always uh, on vacation, traveling, meeting, you know, uh, all the roasters. So. You, you are the social side of the business. Well, I'm not very sociably, but yeah, I guess out of my family, I would be considered that. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, for people like who've been living under a rock and don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about your family and their involvement in coffee and, and, and the stuff like that. Okay, well, um, my family has been in coffee since about 1908. Uh, my great-grandfather came over to Nicaragua uh, to design uh, to work on the design of the of the railroad system in Nicaragua. And wh- where was he from? Uh, he was from Germany. Okay. You know, he was from Germany. Uh, part of his payment, besides being you know uh, being paid with money, he was given land, you know, out in Matagalpa. So at that time, he was able to get some uh, bourbon seeds from Guatemala, and uh, he planted the first you know coffee plantation with uh, bourbon from Guatemala. So that that was the first ever bourbon to that, Nicaragua. Well. Um, well, I'm not really certain about that, you know, but it was one, it was like the, one of the first farms in Matagalpa, you know, to be planted with coffee. So the first one to be planted kind of on purpose with a varietal, like, I'm guessing back then it would just be, we have some coffee plants, plant them. Exactly. I, I would think so. You yeah. know, uh, I don't know if they really paid that much attention about varieties way back then, but, uh. So uh, why did your great grandfather want Bourbon? I'm interested. Um, I'm not really sure, you know, uh, it was just. The, I mean, that, back in the old days, that was really the variety that most people used to have. You know, the típicas, you know, in uh, in Bourbons, it was, more, I think, more towards the heirloom varietals. You know, it was until uh, probably you know late 60s, early 70s, when a lot of these newer varietals started coming in in order for for the for them to withstand, you know, rust. Right. Uh, I still remember when you know Caturra. You know, was being planted down in was developed and being planted down in uh, in uh, in Brazil. You know, and that was looked as the really resistant, high production, you know, type uh, coffee variety. And uh, it was try telling Colombia that now. <laughs> no, it was frowned upon back then. You know, and uh, now I mean, you have Colombia, you have Ecuador, a lot of a lot of countries who have been pretty much extincting. You know, these uh, these varieties to plant more of the Catimor you know, uh, varieties or descendants of the Catimor variety, um, you know, to, to uh, I mean, they're like, they're looked at, the, at, they're looked at heirloom varieties, even though they're not. Yes, you know. yeah, yeah, because they've been around for such a long time and part of the, the kind of culture of exactly. coffee. Exactly. No, but I mean, if you look at it, you know, even b- before that, before the Bourbon, you know, you, you have a lot of other varieties that, you know, uh, sorry, before the Caturra, you have a lot of other varieties that, that are, you know, could be considered a lot more, you know, heirloom varieties, you know, the Bourbons, the Tipicas, you know, and the Tipicas you have a whole bunch of different. 
Well, typically just mutating all the time anyway, isn't it? So exactly. It turned into something different. Exactly. Yeah. So, two th- uh, sorry, uh, 1908? Yes, 1908, you know, he began. Um, then my grandfather took over after him. And was this one of the farms that you still own now? Or was this some of the, because I know that you've let some of the farms go. And yes, yes. No, I mean, we still have, uh, well, the original farm, you know, my, uh, still exists. You know, an uncle of mine has it. Uh, my father kept uh, the other farm that belonged to my grandfather's side as well. Uh, Is that, that's uh, what, but what the other one that you because that's uh, Lajas. Lajas. Lajas, right? Okay, yes. yeah, which I've also had in the yes. past. <laughs> right, right. It's very incestuous in Nicaragua. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, the way our family, even you know, my maybe not my immediate family, some uncles and stuff, you know, they, they work the farms very well. You know, they're all all about quality keeping the lots separate, you know, uh, processing the lots, uh, the day lots as, you know, they're being picked. Um, thank goodness in Nicaragua we still have the culture of only picking, harvesting the really ripe cherries. Uh, at the end of the day, the, 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 the laborers, you know, they select, they hand select out all the unripes and greens, you know, and, and deliver only the ripe cherries to, to the wet mills. Is that Placeres is still a farm that, I mean, we've, we've bought coffee from and he's, he's still, but that's, right. it's also not just coffee, is it? No, in Placeres we have cattle as well. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons when it came time for my dad and his brothers to, you know, separate and decide who, who wanted what. You know, my dad being a medical doctor, being an obstetrics and gynecologist, he, you know, has always liked, you know, working with reproduction and, and with cattle. So. <laughs> Um, he took. The, he got. He he preferred having this farms because he could have cattle and start working. You know, like in the nineties, with nineteen uh, nineties already. You know, with uh, artificial insemination. You know, with the cattle and, and embryo transfers now. And that farm's a little bit lower, isn't it, than lots of the other farms? I mean, that's right. down to about seven, eight hundred meters in parts. Isn't uh, well, it? well, the cattle is. It is yeah. well, where we have the coffee. It goes from from about nine hundred to about twelve hundred meters. You know, uh, we have less of a. Of, of a range, height range, you know, than we do, let's say, like Limoncillo. Yeah. You know, Limoncillo, basically, it, it's, it goes straight up, you yeah. know, and it kind of opens up like an umbrella, you know. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's a, the microclimate that we have in Placeres is a little more aggressive towards coffee growing than it is uh, in Limoncillo and some of the other farms. You know, here it's a lot, much, much warmer, you know, um, so we need a lot more shade in order to grow coffee. Um, now, when you have shade, you have higher humidities. When you have uh, the the temperature, high temperatures, then you start you know creating an ambient for the reproduction of different diseases that you really don't want to deal with. You know, so, so, so let let's fast forward a little bit to your father taking over the farms. When did he? Well, in, in reality, like I said, I mean he's he's a medical doctor, you know, so he never really liked coffee. <laughs> you know, uh, it was my mother who, who was really running the coffee farms uh, for her father and then, you know, the farm that belonged to my, the, to my father as well. Um, you know, he would, I mean, he was working in his clinic at the time, you know, he would rather work with the cattle on his, di- uh, on his time off. It wasn't until after he retired, you know, from medicine that he started getting involved, you know, and uh, we actually started looking at the entire coffee growing process as a, as a science. You know, because his medical background, you know, was able to, you know, kind of focused us on looking at, at things a little bit different. You know, not just the black and white that we do this because we've always done it, but, you know, trying to adapt to the current growing conditions, you know, and seeing 
how you know high temperatures, high humidity, you know affect you know the fermentation processes, uh, the drying processes, you know water activity. Uh, it's really more scientific, you know, for us the way we look at it than than uh, we used to, you know, when I first got into coffee back in 1994. And so, I think also I don't think I'm I'm kind of speaking out there. I think your your, fa your father is also has a little bit of an engineering mind as well, hasn't he? Well, I mean, like <laughs> he's he's got a medicine deg medical degree, but he says that he he should have been a carpenter. You know, he loves building things with wood. You know, he loves building, he loves tearing down buildings and building new ones, <laughs> you know, so uh, it's, we're, we're always changing at our wet mills. He's always breaking them down and, and, and doing something new. So, yes, he's kind of like also inventing some stuff, isn't he? As well, like you know, different. Like I, I kind of see him as very much as a problem solver. He sees a problem, he's like, I know how to fix that, and then goes away and makes something, then comes back and it's fixed. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. But uh, unfortunately, it ends up costing us more than getting by his invention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, find, uh, buying something off the rack, you know. But uh, no, but 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 uh, in doing that, it also allows us, you know, to adapt. For our growing conditions, I mean, some of uh, our, our, our problems, you know, something that I've always said, you know, uh, we love visiting other coffee farms, you know, to learn what everybody else is doing. Uh, most of the time, whenever we do that and we try to uh, implement whatever it is that we've seen, you know, at another coffee farm, it doesn't work, you know, uh, but it doesn't work because, you know, every, everything's different, you yeah. know, the altitude, the temperature, the humidity, you know, the soil. Um, the people working, exactly. you know, their, their, their practices and what exactly. they do, and it's hard They're, to change cultures. Right, and, yeah. right. No, it is. It is. You know, so basically, whatever it is that we learn or we like from another farm, we try to implement it. We have to adapt it to our reality, and uh, that's what a lot of people don't do. I mean, they come, they see us, you know, at, at our farm. What it is we try to do, and they go back and they copy it exactly. What it is it that what we're doing? And most of the time, it doesn't work. And they tell us, look, I mean, what you told us to do doesn't work. It's like, well, you, you have to adapt it to your reality, what it is that, you know, uh, what's happening at your farm. And that's when you have to start looking at it, you know, in a scientific manner, you know, yeah. trying to see how these other exterior factors affect, you know, the growing condition and also, you know, the, the, the processes. I think you're quite unique in lots of ways that you do invite people to the farm. I know that uh, Alejandro, who's been on, he, he was on a, a Tampa Tantra about three or four episodes ago, um, like he came and spent a chunk of time with you and your dad and the family kind of looking at the farm and seeing what you were doing and he went back with lots of ideas as well and, and quickly realised about that adaption. Do you, is that pretty common that like, you know, I mean you're different because you've had a vast experience of going around lots of different countries and being involved there. But I don't really see coffee farmers necessarily inviting other coffee farmers onto their farms as, as well, openly. You know, uh, um, the way I see it is that m almost all coffee farmers, you know, are very proud of what they do, and they really enjoy having people come seeing to see, you mm -hmm. know, what is that they're doing. Um, the major problem is with the coffee farmers is that we're know-it-all. I mean, <laughs> we produce the best coffee in the world, even if it's at 200 meters. You know, yeah. you know we're, we, we're the ones who produce, you know, the, the best varieties. Nobody can tell us what is it to do. That doesn't sound like any roaster I know or any barista <laughs> I know or any coffee shop owner I know at all. Like, that okay. sounds completely unique to well, your industry. I've got to hear that. You know, but, uh, so it's kind of hard to really um, get a producer to, to go and see another farm. Yeah. You know, we're always open to have people come and see what it is that we're doing. We're proud of what we're doing. You know, we're great. I mean, we're open to people to take a look at it and, and, uh, and, and really appreciate it. But there are very few who actually will 
move and go see what it is that somebody else is doing. You know, I have an uncle of mine who, I mean, he's got a brilliant mind. I think he's probably the one who's the, the, the most like my great-grandfather with an engineering uh, mindset. You know, but uh, he's really, it's really difficult to get him to go out to, an, to a farm and see what somebody else is doing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and that's, I think, the, the, the pretty, the, that's the mindset that most coffee producers around the world have. You know, I'm, I'm going to go off at a tangent here a little bit because you've actually led me somewhere that I really wanted to talk to you about mm -hmm. and, and it's something that I kind of really get excited about and I would love to do and it's like the intelligentsia thing that they do where they get growers together to meet each other. Yes. I know you've been a part of that for the past few years. Right, right. Um, like, is that a chance, like, so the Barista Guild, they have a Barista Guild event, they, all the baristas come together, share ideas, go away really excited. Yes. Roasters Guild have the thing, they come together, get really mm -hmm. excited, go away. Do you see this as something similar for coffee growers? I mean, do you take stuff away from that that is useful, um, or is it really just a party and you get drunk? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you know, no, it, it really is very useful. Yeah. You know, uh, I really enjoy going there and exchanging ideas. I mean, basically, especially when you have a group of, of, of producers, kind of like the one that Intelligentsia has, that 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 you know, uh, they're not. I don't want to say trendsetters, but I mean, they're always out there trying to improve their farms. Yeah. And they have, uh, I would say, we probably have the same type of mindset. You know, uh, Pedro Rodriguez from Bol from Bolivia. Yeah. You know, uh, good friends. You have Camilo from Colombia. Yeah. Well, basically, I can name a whole bunch of them. You know, but the, the I mean, they are they are all doing something different. You know, something that's working for them. They're doing a great job in marketing copies. You know, uh, there are other events of, that have come about. You know, from something that, that uh, kind of like with what Intelligence is doing. You know, um, sustainable harvest is mm -hmm. doing that. Let's talk coffee. Yeah. I mean, that started out like something like that, and that that has uh, progressed to something else. You know, uh, something much bigger. You know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, uh, what we're doing here with, with Intelligentsia, you know, is, is sitting down, exchanging ideas with our our friends, coffee producers. You know, and listening because that's the, that's a more important part. You know, listening to what the market or your client needs. You know, I always say in all my presentations that, you know, we produce to order. You know, uh, I can easily go and produce coffee the way it's always been done in Nicaragua, and, uh, and that's it, you know. But if I don't understand what it is that your clients, you know, your market needs, that I'm never going to, you know, produce that for you. Well, I mean, a great example of that is the funky that we, we, we do with you, the funky <laughs> process, which we won't go into here, but it's like, that's to order, you know, that's right. something we, we really like and we have a, exactly. a small niche market for that really fits and, right. and, and, it, and it works well. Um, so just like, because I'd love to go and kind of be the fly on the wall and watch this. What's the format of it? Well, like, what actually happens there? And, and, unless Jeff's going to come and kill us, because <laughs> like, if, if we tell the world that's it, we get, we're done. Yeah. We're, no, it, it's, it's very simple. I mean, uh, basically we get together. Um, now, the, the Intelligentsia, they try to program uh, or create a program that's going to be interesting, you know, uh, for the producers that are showing up. You know, uh, they're trying to show us something that's not very common to the uh, to the other countries where the, where we're producing coffee. You know, mm -hmm. but uh, so basically, what we've done in the past, we've gone, we're visiting coffee farms, see the process, see how it's different from what we're doing. But then, uh, actually, what happens afterwards? You know, and sitting down during lunch or dinner, you know, talking with with with, with your, you know, your, your your friends there. That's when you get the most out of it. You know. Um, I think the first event that we were that we were at, were at you know, and uh, uh, it was in Colombia, 
and uh, it was over lunch. We were sitting, you know, and talking. I remember it was Pedro from Bolivia, and it was Don, uh, it was Don, Don Fabio from uh, from uh, El, uh, Honduras, you know. And we were talking basically about power generation, you know, and how to make that more uh, efficient at the farm level, you know, and try to produce electricity from the the water sources that we had, you know. And I still remember. Um, Doug Zell coming over and just started recording what it is that we're saying, you know, and at the end of the, the event, you know, he put that as an example of why they're doing it, because just getting people to talk about, you know, what their difficulties are and how to overcome that as a group, because maybe something's, a problem's new for me, but, you know, who knows how many other people have encountered it and have, you know, become a solution, yeah. you know, very effective than having to go out there and, you know, and invent something off the <laughs> I, th I think the most exciting one, like f for me, that I would love to have been part of was to see when they did one in, I can't remember if it was Kenya or Ethiopia. I think it was Kenya. Is it Kenya? It was Ethiopia last Ethiopia, year. Right. Yes. Like, for a, for a Central American producer to go to Africa mm -hmm. and see coffee production, that must have been mind-blowing. I mean, that just, like, so different. I know when I go as a buyer, like, I'm not as invested in the processing as, obviously, a, a producer, but I was just like... This is just so different to anything I've ever seen before. I mean, how was that? I mean, does that? Happen? Well, unfortunately, I didn't get a, I didn't go last year. Oh, okay. You know, I had to cancel because, uh, 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 well, the evil eye thing was one of the things that kind of scared us off. But, uh, but anyway, no, it, it was just uh, during the wrong time of the year for us. Right. You know? uh, but no, I hear that it was really, really great. You know, and and I know what you're saying because I had the chance with Cup of Excellence to be in, in Rwanda and Burundi, you know, and uh, going around and, and, and supposedly teaching these guys, you know, <laughs> a couple of things on, on water, I mean, on uh, uh, wet milling, you know, and uh, it really is just amazing to, to see how, I mean, what they've been doing, and that's what that's where coffee was born. I mean, they've been doing this, you know, I'm fourth generation already. I mean, who knows how, you know, how long they've been doing it for, and it's always been something that's been passed on, you know, from generation to generation, you know, and uh, it's kind of hard. I mean, you ask them why they do it, they probably don't know. Now, if you start thinking about it, you can understand why it is that they do it. Yeah. You know, yeah, but uh, but yeah, so it, it's a really really great experience. Like coffee sitting underwater for forty eight hours fermented. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You imagine doing that in Nicaragua. <laughs> like, it yeah, just, no, it's uh, it would just be so over fermented and horrendous. It would be. But like the unique conditions and how right. cold it gets at night and all exactly. those things just kind exactly. of kick in, don't they? Right, 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 right. You know, yeah, and the, the water temperature that they use. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, it's just uh, mind-blowing, you know, that... Uh, it's, it's, it's just so different. It's night yeah. and day. Yeah. So, so pulling it back to uh, you and, and, and the family's kind of, you know, uh, investment in farming, um, kind of... I think it's very, very well known, you know, the troubles of Nicaragua in the you know, 80s, early 90s. Um, and I'm guessing a few people who are watching who haven't met you before are going, that doesn't sound like a very Nicaraguan accent. So kind of tell us a little bit about what happened to the family like during those troubles and kind of what happened. Okay. Well, no, my accent, I got it from... Uh, uh, a cowboy? <laughs> my father was going to, actually he was getting his, uh, his uh, specialty in the obstetrics and, uh, obstetrics and gynecology in, uh, in Tennessee. So I, you know, I was what uh, four years old. You know, so from four to eight years, you know, I lived in, in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. 
and uh, yeah, talk about uh, that's where I got my accent from, I think. And how quickly and then, did you learn English? Like, were you there? Cause I'm guessing you obviously went with Spanish. Um, uh, not exactly. No, yeah. I didn't know any English, and uh, no, it was hard. You know, being in, in the south of the United States, you know, uh, if 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 it's still a little difficult from what I hear, you know, back then it was even worse. I mean, you know, being called taco, wetback, grease ball. <laughs> Uh, boy, it was. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't use those then. <laughs> no, I mean they don't mean anything, and, and, and you know, thank goodness, you know, I was always given a thick skin. Things kind of rub off, you know. But uh, I still remember, you know, I mean, it, it just really upset me how they would use some of these racist slangs in order to try to get to you. I mean, he wouldn't get to me, but uh, but I thought it was kind of funny. You know? So this would be like the late seventies. This was uh, no, actually 70, 74, 75. Okay. Okay. Know? Uh, then we moved back down to Nicaragua, you know, and then in '81 we had it. We decided to move back up to the United States because, political-wise, it just got too intense in Nicaragua. You know, um, we moved it back. You know, the coffee farm started getting confiscated. You know, so, so like just a little bit of a history lesson because I I don't properly understand kind of what happened. So, early '80s it became a very kind of socialist left-wing yeah. style well, government. Well, in the, we had in. Nicaragua had had a 40-year dictatorship, yeah. you know, from the Somoza family. Okay. Uh, they got overthrown in, the, in 79. Yeah. You know, then we had uh, supposedly the, the, the guys who revolted, even though it was, it was the entire country who revolted, but, you know, the, 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 the guerrilla movement, the Sandinistas, really the ones who took, to, who took power, right. you know, and uh, they started running the country in another you know, kind of dictatorship, kind of you know. Uh, yeah. Get rid of one dictator and comes a new one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but uh, but no, I mean, uh, they started implementing a lot of the the same systems that had happened in Cuba. You know, everything from the, I mean, even naming the the the, the institutions the same. You know, the INRA, which was the company, uh, the, the the ministry that actually confiscated the farms. You know, um, so the, a lot of that started happening. You know, so uh, the government would take the farms from families like yourself yes. and then give them back to the people that were working on them, or, well, or, or the, the government would keep them. That was the intention. Yeah. You know, but uh, it, it never really happened that way. You know, um, it was run by a cooperative system that was very corrupt at that time. Um, most fa most farms, you know, failed. We had, you know, we went from producing two million quintales, which is about, you know, uh, maybe a million four hundred. Uh, bags, you know, uh, to producing 400,000 quintales, you know, in 1988, I think, you know, so you can tell how, you know, ineffective that system was, yeah. you know, um, now, and then supposedly the, supposedly the owners, you know, the, 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 the workers that lived on the farm had to live off of that, I mean, they wouldn't get paid, you know, they, they had to work, they would tear out coffee to plant corn, to plant beans, so they, know, could, so eat. They could eat, yeah, exactly. You know, so it was very ineffective, you know, uh, in the 90s, in 89, you know, elections came around, they got voted out, um, you know, and then, so then it was a transition, you know, to a democracy, and to have a lot of these coffee farms, you know, given, being returned back to its original owners. You know, so, so did you lose some of your farms in that time and then end up taking them yes. back? Or? No, all the farms. We, you know, my family lost all the farms, you know, wow. and uh, so it was from my grandfather. My grandfather, from my mother's side, you know, he had a total of about eleven farms. It was, you know, which he he had given already, you know, like in, in inheritance, you know, one to each one of his his, uh, his uh, daughters, you know, and uh, so it was eleven from him, you know, and then there was uh, three from my grand my grandfather from my father's side, 
you know. So um, since everything had been already inherited to 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 the to the to their children, you know, basically when we came back, you know, we all tried to recuperate whatever it is that actually belonged to each one of us, you know, um, to my my parents in this case, you know. Uh, but yeah, at that time, I mean, when you worked out the deal with the government, you had to assume, you know, control of the farm as is. So, I mean, if you had that farm when, you, when they were first confiscated, if you were producing, let's say, you know, a thousand bags, you know, but now it was only producing a hundred, tough, that's it, you know. And if you had no debt on it when they took it over, and right now it had a big debt, you still had to take over, you had to assume the debt. Right. You know, so little things like that were, which were a problem and, 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 uh, a hindrance to, to, you know, to start. And was this was this when President Ortega came in? Is that no? Actually, no. That's when he went out. Okay, he so went he out. Went out. Yes, right. You know, in the nineties. Yeah. You know, so we started getting the farms back. You know, and started working. You know, and now uh, we got the farms back, and my parents were still living in, in the U.S. You know, so they say they were they were managing the farms by remote control. <laughs> you know, uh, my mother she did the numbers. You know, and she figured it out, but. By working by remote control, she could have planted at least five farms with the amount of money she, she sat down, you know, to plant one at that time. You know, it was just, you know, by, by not being there, it was a lot, you know, you, it would lend itself to a lot of abuse, people stealing from you, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that, that, that's the way we did it, you know, until, uh, you know, we decided to come back. And, and, when, and when was that? When did the family move back? Uh, well, I moved back in '94. Uh, right. You know, uh, actually, I moved back early. I moved back in '90, but I was still working for Exxon at the time. Okay. You know, so I was working at the refinery. You know, so the, you're a real Texan cowboy then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and, and my father just basically said, "Look, I mean, you're not going to work at any anything that we have, anything that the family has, until you get your master's degree." Nice. You know, so uh, jokingly, I said, "Okay, fine. Are you willing to pay for it?" You know. And he said, yes, yeah, so, you know. <laughs> I've had a very similar conversation with my 19-year-old son. He's like, I am not giving you a job until you go out and get some experience in coffee. Like, sit, go to Nicaragua for 12 months and pick coffee. Like, then come back, you might have something useful for me. Yeah. Learn Spanish, you know, learn, then you can help me with my translations. But until then, you're no use to me. Off you go. <laughs> no, I think it's good. I mean, I remember at the time I was quite upset because I was like, well, look, we have these farms. We know that we're getting robbed, you know, by not being here. He says, let me jump into it, you know, but uh, you know, he was totally against it, you know, so I guess he figured it was worth the sacrifice for a, an extra couple of years to, in order to get something going, you know. But, you know, I came back and like you say, I had no experience in coffee. You know, I was just coming off of, you know, my master, my MBA, you know, uh, it's when uh, to uh, total quality management uh, was like the trend, the, the it thing. And, <laughs> Man. How's that help? Try, try, try to implement that. <laughs> <laughs> try to implement that, you know, at a coffee farm. Yeah. It's, it's, oh boy. I can imagine. I can imagine. So, so you were back in '90. Family moved back in '94. Right. Well, no, actually, uh, I, I came back. I, I moved back to the United States to get my master's. Yeah. I, I, came, oh, back, came, back I came back in '94. Right. You know, and I started kind of working, you know, uh, at the mill. You know, and I just couldn't fathom the idea how coffee was being sold in Nicaragua. You know, basically it was being sold by screen sizes, you yeah. know, and uh, defect counts. You know, it wasn't by cup. I mean, everything was strictly high-grown coffee, you know, uh, screen 19s or screen 18s or, you know. It's not like this is a million years ago either, is it? Like No, no, no. no it's, it's it was 20 years ago, yeah. basically, you know. And um, 
at that time, there were only two exporters out of Nicaragua, three exporters out of Nicaragua. Out of Nicaragua. Wow. Um, so I told my mom, I said, look, I mean, this is crazy. Let's, let's go, first of all, let's go and try our coffee to see what it tastes like. Yeah. You know, uh, there was no cupping labs in Matagalpa at that time. You know, so my father was building the, this mill. You know, I asked him permission to build the cupping lab. You know, he said, okay, we built it, you know, but then we didn't have a cupper. You know, and then we tried to hire a cupper, but all the cuppers were living in Managua because that's where the export com the, the the export company's offices were. Yeah, they didn't want to move down to, to Matagalpa, you know, and, and the country and work. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, so uh, you know, I still remember David Griswold came down in Nicaragua, and uh, I, I met him because he he wanted to uh, he wanted to use our cupping lab, you know, and. Uh, he wanted to lease it, and I said, look, you know, I'm not going to lease it to you, but I'll let you borrow it with a condition that what everything that you do in the cupping lab, you know, we can do a, a mirror table. You know, I promise I won't say a word on anything, you know, but whatever you, you guys try, you know, in your comments, I want to verify and that type of stuff, I can start learning. You know. And uh, he said, okay, and that's how we started. You know, that's how I started cupping, basically. You know, uh, there was no Q courses, there was no, you know, cupping schools or coffee schools at the time, you know, yeah. so... I mean, uh, SCIA would be a couple of years old at that point, wouldn't it? I mean, it wouldn't uh, be that old. Well, no, no, SCIA, well, I mean, it, it, it was already old, because I know uh, Erna Knudsen kind of started working on it back in 81, but I mean, uh, I still remember that I went to the first SCIA show, my first SCIA show was on Long Beach and back in 94. They liked to go to Long Beach a lot, mm -hmm. didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's very convenient, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, it was weird. I mean, I was walking around, you know, with my samples all over the place, and... I still remember I was handing out samples, and uh, I remember I turned around and I looked at this one guy. He looked at the samples and he just, you know, threw them in the trash. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was kind of like a cup of eye. That was kind of like a, <laughs> a kick to the stomach, you know. But uh, but no, then I, I kind of found out. I mean, why they do this? I mean, it's understandable. I mean, you go to a coffee show, you know, and you show up with a bag. You're not going to be going back, you know, hauling another, you know, thirty, forty pounds worth of coffee samples. You know, it's just so. me that does that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then you know, uh, I met another. Actually, it was we were, we were talking about him, Sandali. Yes, uh, met Vicky yeah, yeah. Sandali. You know, he was a gentleman. You know, he pulled me aside and he said, look, I mean, stop handing out samples. You know, ask them for their, you know, their card and ask them if they're willing to, you know, to, to cup them. And that way, you know, you just mail it to them. It's much quicker and if, if they, I mean, if they say yes, you know, they're going to cup them. If they say no, then you don't waste, you don't waste your samples. Yeah. You know, so that was the, the, the best advice that I'd had, <laughs> that I had at that show, you know. Vince was definitely one of those guys that kind of like a proper gentleman in coffee, wasn't he? As well, yes, he's like oh, he's uh, yeah, I remember him very well. He's uh, we talked about him earlier, and so so from that you started to take learn to cup. You started to hand out samples. Like, how did you actually take that from to the next stage? I mean, well, no, like, what I, was the big break? What was the big changing moment? Okay, no, I I actually went to New Orleans, you know, and I went to I walked up to this this company. You know who also had like a shipping company. It was uh, Westfeld Brothers. You know, and the two cuppers there, they were these gentlemen. They were, <laughs> I joke around. They were like a hundred years old. You know, smoking. I mean, you had those uh, ashtrays with a pile of you know cigarette butts. You can nice. smell the smoking coming out of, the, of these offices. You know, and uh, and I walked in with my with my my sample. I said, hey, you know, I'm from Nicaragua. You know, can can we try this? I'm willing to, to sell it to you guys. Um, and um, basically the what the three companies export companies in Nicaragua were paying us paying the producer at that time you know it was cost you know mi uh, minus a differential you know at that time they were charging Nicaragua for Nicaraguan coffees a minus 13 
you know, so it was New York minus 13 minus the cost, you know, um, and uh, when this gentleman, we cupped it, he said, you know, how much you want for it? I thought I was being, you know, I asked for plus 15, you know, and he said, okay, you know, and, wow. uh, and uh, later on I come to find out that, you know, the cup, it was a really, really fine cup coffee, you know, probably could have gotten a little bit more, you know, but uh, that was my first experience, you know, and uh, from then on, you know, we just started exporting our own coffee. Obviously, no farm in the world produces 100%, you know, specialty. You know, you're always going to have lower growns. You guys have some commercials. You know, it's something that's always going to go wrong, you know, whether you know, in your processes or with Mother Nature, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've always, we try to always export our, our specialty stuff ourselves. You know, in some cases where we have too much commercial, we end up, you know, selling it locally, you know, or to a commercial importer. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit here, I think, but I, I, I talked about price mm -hmm. and, and, and about, um, you know, taking the deal that's good for you. I, I remember you telling me, well, I actually remember personally, when the market went up to 310, mm -hmm. and we'd got a contract for, like I think it was 315 or something like that, or 320, and I remember emailing you and saying, like, should we like up this a little bit? And you were like, no way. You're like, no way, because when the market goes down, we ain't having that conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's about, you know, the cost of production and then the, the, the value on it. And I remember you telling me about somebody else who had a contract that was like 180, 190, yes. that had been a long-standing contract. Mm -hmm. And again, you deliver on that. It's, no, exactly. exactly. I, I, I think that that, I think that's so important, you know, to have that, that, that trust element there. It's when you do a deal, you do a deal. And you obviously exactly. did a deal there that was more than you could get at home. Mm -hmm. And exactly. it's kind of like a springboard into what happened exactly. in the future. Right, no, I mean, uh, one of our strengths, that it, I think, is the, the, the strength of our relationship with our buyers. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that year we had that conversation with you, we had it with, with Morton from Nordic Approach, he was a soldier in Hanson at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we had it with uh, Bob Bank from Olympia, Washington, he was a batter from Bronson. And I also remember negotiating, you know, with uh, Heath Cater, for, he's, well, he's a New Zealander that works in, uh, in Australia with Hobby uh, Supreme. Or Supreme Coffees, you know, uh, no Coffee Supreme. But uh, anyway, you know, uh, with uh, with Heath, you know, it was. I mean, my sister was laughing and uh, she bitched at me afterwards because you know we were negotiating, you know, and he, he was trying to get. I mean, he was trying to pay me more, and I was actually giving him a lower price, you know. So he was going. I can't remember, uh, you know. Uh, Three dollars, and I was like, "No, two <laughs> And she's like, "Wait, hold it! Shouldn't be, shouldn't it be the other way around?" You know, but no. We, I mean, we're firm believer that you don't kill the the chicken that lays the golden eggs. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, something that's going to be good for me right now, you know, has to be good for you later on. You know, so uh, it's got to be good for both of us. You know, in order to, for, for both of us to survive. Yeah. You know, and uh, and if we it's see, amazing how how that doesn't translate so often though with other you know with other people and we, we lost we lost some people we were buying from over that time right. because you know I, I, I couldn't do that we'll pay more now you know because it, it, we, we it killed the market for us you know exactly. so you know we, we've still got to find somewhere to sell it and right. um, when you've agreed a price you've agreed a price and, and be that good exactly. or bad for you exactly that's you, know, exactly. you have to stand by it yes no I mean we actually uh, had to go out you know and buy coffee uh, to deliver against a contract, you know, that we had a dollar eighty, you know, wow. we, and we had to go out and buy coffee at, you know, I can't remember, it was like two forty, two sixty, something like that, you know, so we can deliver it at a dollar eighty, you know. But I mean, it, it's a. Uh, I mean, but who sets is that? Relationship now, you know, it's oh, like, no, I mean, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's like the, exactly. the longer term is short term pain, but actually, right. you know, the longer term now when markets bottomed out again, exactly. You know, everybody's exactly. kind of 
Yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and this year, you know, with the same customer, you know, uh, we had a, a, I think we were short like one container, you know, and uh, we had, it was something like 240, I think, you know, and uh, we were short a container, so we could have easily gone out and bought the coffee much cheaper and sell it to them, you know, but that would have had, that would have meant for us to take out money, you know, and actually go buy it, and during that time of the year, you know, cash flow was very, very tight, you know, so, uh, no, we called him up and he said, look, no problem, you know, this works out better for me as well, but I can go buy it, you know, much cheaper somewhere else. And so, you know, you're coming out ahead and I'm coming out ahead, you know, I'm going to look like a, like a, like a genius against my bosses, you know. So, <laughs> so uh, we did that and, and it worked out, you know, so uh, it, it's always about, it's always about trying to uh, strengthen the relationship, you know, and making sure that everybody comes out ahead. That's exactly, it's a two-way street and he's so often forgotten that, you know, it's like, for it to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for everybody. Right. Um, and it, it still surprises me how sometimes that can get lost. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I remember that, you know, kind of very firmly in my mind and it, it definitely helps when we sit down and talk prices now because yeah. you just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a much easier conversation, you know, because it's about, well, this is how much it costs us to make. Mm -hmm. We forget what the market is now. Right. Like, this is what we deserve as a premium, and we can make money at that. Because the thing is, market can be at $3, but actually probably at 180 190 you can still make a good premium on that, on that particular coffee that you're selling. Right, right. Um, so nothing's changing your cost of production. Yeah. It's just because somebody in New York decided that coffee prices should go up. It's... <laughs> You know, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, now, obviously, you have a lot more of, a, of a, an impact whenever, you know, like with a dollar, well, I mean, dollar valuating, you know, and our, our local currencies devaluating. Yeah. You know, that, that hurts a little bit more, you know. Uh, but, but again, uh, that's, that's the same for us, you know. Exactly. We were actually having this conversation earlier that, you know, I remember the dollar being at $2 to the pound, and it's now at like $1.53, mm -hmm. you know. And I remember it going as low as one thirty. Yeah. Um, that's where it starts to hurt. You don't get any more money. I just have to exactly. pay more money to turn it into dollars. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's no, I mean, that, that, that's the reality that's happening in Japan right now. I mean, Japan. I remember what last year was around ninety yen to, to the dollar. You know, right now is you know dollar twenty. I mean, uh, one hundred twenty yen to the dollar. Wow. Know? So, it's an easy 30, 40 percent that they're having to pay more for their coffees. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's easy to say. Currency is something that really gets forgotten. Everybody looks at C and nobody looks at currency. Exactly. And I guess yeah. that's because. The market's very U.S. focused, and they're dealing in dollars. So for them, right. it's right. they don't feel it. And yeah, no, exactly. It's exactly. a it's a much more bigger problem over here. Right. So um, you get that breakthrough there, and then I, I guess the next kind of step was you got involved in Cup of Excellence in Nicaragua. Yeah. How did that come about? Like, how well, did how did they come knocking on your door and say, "Can you help us put this competition on?" Yeah. Well, no. I mean, it's um, you know, I had gotten out of coffee because you know. Uh, being the all-knowing person that I was at the time, you know, and uh, we went out and we, I started, we started buying coffee from our neighbors, you know, and, uh, you know, I speculated on the market, you know, lost my ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm talking speculating, not with coffee, but with New York City, you know, right. with, with, a, with a hedging account. Yeah. You know, which you don't do. <laughs> <laughs> not unless you have a lot of money you to know, burn. Exactly, you know, and uh, so lost my ass. You know, so then I got depressed. I said, screw it. You know, I'm out of coffee. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and um, and then my dad looked at me and said, Look, you know what? Okay, I paid for your master's. <laughs> Whatever we're doing right now, you know, I'm just paying for your doctorates. <laughs> <laughs> this is another edu this is another education that you're getting, you know. So just look at it that way, you know. But no, I was at a coffee, and, and my cousin Roberto Bendaña, 
you know, you know him. My brother well. from a different mother. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he uh, he was able to, to get a cup of excellence for Nicaragua. You know, uh, he knew that I knew a little bit about cupping. You know, that I was one of the few that actually spoke English. You know, the, the, so he asked me to come come over and and uh, basically do the technical coordination of everything. You know, uh, to help out George Howell. You know, so I got to work with George for two years there. And the, so and that was. Awesome. Oh. I really learned quite a bit. The man is yeah. an absolute legend. I remember the first time I, I met him was in Rwanda. I mean, I've, I've, I'd seen him at stuff, but he was on the Cup of Excellence in, in Rwanda, the first one. And I went up, I was pleasure to meet you, Mr. Hell. He said, no, no, call me George. I said, okay, Mr. Hell. <laughs> was like, I just couldn't call him George. It was just right. like, yeah, proper legend in comedy. Yes. So that was 2000 and 2002. Yeah, yes. okay. Yeah, so, so you were involved in the very first one in Nicaragua? In Nicaragua, yes. Wow. Was the first one, you know. So I kind of helped out, you know, to, uh, Volunteering, pretty much, you know, for the first three years, you know, and afterwards, uh, Susie asked me to come aboard and, and help out, you know, full-time capacity there with with Ace. So that was you know, th so, so the, the the first one you did properly pay was 2005 with the coordination. What like? Uh, the, well, no, no, no. Basically, uh, when I was working, when I was volunteering, like when I met you, yeah, you know, I was volunteering, you oh, know, wow. doing doing the the coordination. Don't you know. feel so bad about you making me wait at the airport for. <laughs> An aeronaut. No, I don't, I don't feel quite as bad at all. <laughs> no, you were volunteering. I thought you'd been well, no, paid to pick me up. Either, but an hour, being late an hour, and it got I was nothing, man. It's not that I one time, you know. It's, it's, that's actually being on time. That was my first time in a foreign country. <laughs> Sat outside the airport, not knowing where to go. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's the safest country in Latin America, so you're okay, man. Thanks. <laughs> Besides all the bugs that bit you. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Nothing, else, nothing else was going to bite you. Yeah, yeah and, and, and um, John Villison trying to kill me on the back of the bike as oh, well. Oh, yeah. 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 No, but uh, you know, I, I've been lucky enough that with everybody that I've worked with in Cup of Excellence, you know, George Howell, you know, and then it was uh, um, Willem Boot, you know, John Villison, Jesus, with Paul Songer, you know, we've been in some really, some, in some trenches that, you know, I've learned so much from that, you know, uh, I've, you know, I, I, can a I can actually say that I've been taught by the best. You know, and uh, uh, you, you were the first real life coffee grower I ever met. You didn't realize that. <laughs> well, and, and remember what my dad said. I'm, I'm, gonna not, say, I'm, I'm just really going to say, like, grower, you know, it's well, the first plastic <laughs> one. First one whose dad grew coffee then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 no, he's, uh, that was my first ever trip. It was, yeah, that was, it was a scary time. And mm -hmm. kind of getting to meet you and Stephen was, it was like, all of a sudden it was like people who could understand my accent. It was like, phew. <laughs> I, I still don't understand. Oh, man. That's why don't sometimes, say that. sometimes You've I ruined it. Sometimes I answer something you're not even asking. <laughs> so you went full time with Cup of Excellence. Right. Um, that must have been immense. Kind of getting so involved in lots, tasting lots of different coffees from lots of different, and dealing with all of those problems. Um, I mean, what? Okay, so I'm going to turn around so we can talk about you know what's the worst thing that happened like while you were out doing like what was the thing that like just everything went wrong and you were just like no and had to fix. <laughs> well, no, I mean I guess the worst thing that, that happened when I when I was there, you know, and I couldn't really I mean we couldn't fix it because it it, it it was too late. It was when uh, the Honduran Cup of Excellence and they oh. used tainted uh, coffee bags, you know. No, and, I, that and, was my first full lot I bought on my own. <laughs> Yeah. And it arrived, and it just so the bags were like petroleum tainted uh, or something, was it? Or well, no. The thing is that I mean, uh, we buy in in Latin America. You know, all the coffee, the the Ute bags are bought in India. Right. You know, so uh, we're always trying to cut costs somehow. You know, so this company in Honduras had bought the, the, this 
full containers of, of ute bags, you know, and they couldn't sell them because they had, you know, a, a petroleum-based, you know, oil that, that they treated them with. And um, obviously, you know, the, the organizing company or institution there, you know, uh, they had an, an accountant, you know, go look for the bags. You know, so he saw these bags were the cheapest one out, cheapest, the least expensive out of all the ones he was looking at. He didn't know any better, you know, so he went, he bought them. They were sent to the, to the mill. You know, the mill complained. They said, they said, look, these bags are tainted. They smell. But the accountant said, look, those are it. Use them. You know, uh, so yeah, I mean, that uh, pretty much ruined, you know, almost all, all the lots. You know, a couple of excellence coming out of, kind of, coming out of Honduras, you know, and I remember it arriving and I had this email, it was like, get it out of the bags as soon as you can. Yes. And we went and bought these big bulk bags, mm -hmm. like, that you use for skips. Yeah. And literally, we just cut in the bags and putting them in there. Right. And just emptied them all in and then like, let's cup it. And we cupped it <laughs> and we just tasted like petrol and chemicals and, and horrible. And I remember sitting there going, what am I going to do? This is like 15,000 pounds worth of coffee. What am I going to do? Exactly. Like, I, I had no idea. Like, um, and luckily, I mean, Cup of Excellence kind of covered it, didn't they? And the, yeah. the insurance exactly. kind of fixed it. But it, yeah, that no, was no, it was actually it was actually the the Icafe, the the coffee institution out of uh, out of Honduras. Oh, was it? Okay. You know, they actually put up the money and said, okay, guys, we can't blame the producer. They got paid. Yeah. You know, so but here it is. Here's the money. You know, now if it would, I mean. Basically, I worked out a system where you can actually get the coffee out without, you know, being tainted. Because the coffee that was tainted is the coffee that was touching the ute bag. Yeah. So if you would have gotten a PVC pipe big enough to stick it in, the, stick it in, you know, so you can keep that, the, you know, at least two inches of coffee away. See, we tried that. And but, we took yeah. samples from the center of the bag, and there's obviously been some movement in there. Oh, okay. It was, it, yeah. it, it was all over it. But uh, do you know there's one company in the UK... And I'm, I won't mention who they are, but they're the only company in the world that sold Cup of Excellence from Honduras that year. And they just still sold it. They just sold Oh, really? It. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I went to a big supermarket. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, that, but that was pretty horrendous. Okay. I mean, that was, that, was, that was just, yeah, I was devastated when that coffee arrived. It right. Was, uh, oh, that, that, that was the, the worst thing that could happen. You know, the scariest thing that could happen, that, that, that happened to me is that, you know, I was being head judge in... Uh, in Brazil, so I mean, my job as as operations manager is that I had to be in every single country that had a cup of excellence event going on. So it was the Bolivian, you know, competition as well, but I couldn't be there, so I was in, in, in I was in in Brazil, you know. And Susie sent me this letter that she got, in, you know, in Spanish, you know, from an anonymous source in in Bolivia, saying that they were going to kidnap the entire cup of excellence jury. I was on that jury. That was 2006, I think, or 2007. I'd rather, yeah. yeah. No, I was there on that jury. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it, so that was quite scary trying to figure out how to, you know, how to deal with that. From you know. Brazil. From Brazil, exactly, since I'm the one who spoke Spanish and, you know, uh, and I had met almost everybody in, in, uh, in, in Bolivia at the time, you know, so I had to get on the phone and, and start to try to coordinate, coordinate the, 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 the security, you know. Um, Everybody there in Bolivia basically said that it wasn't a problem, that they thought it was just, you know, uh, a meaningless threat, you know, but, uh, but no, but at least they, they, they come up with, you know, some police and, and army people to, to station them around the, the hotel where everybody was at and, and, and they were able to, you know. I can't remember whether that was the one that was in uh, Carico or whether it was the one that was in, no, it was in yeah, Santa Cruz. No, no, it was in Coroico, yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so I remember us getting in trouble. 
because uh, me and Jose um, escaped out the hotel and, and did um, the death road yeah, and, and didn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, apparently we, yeah, no, I mean, we created a little bit of a storm. Yeah. Well, no, the thing is, yeah, it, it was quite scary for the organizers because, I mean, we didn't want to tell Jerry to, to scare them. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, we, you know, we, we kept it quiet, you know, we did other preventive me measures. I mean that place. That place actually was. It was super secure because it got like the river all around yeah. it, hadn't it? And yeah, they were just the rivers was the dangerous part. You know, was every time it would flood, it would come up almost up to the to the to the, to the bedrooms. You know? <laughs> I've, I've been past that place a few times on the trips back since, and uh, I have very fond memories of that place. Yeah. It was very good. I remember organising a football game, the national jury against the international yes, jury. Yes, yes. Oh my God, there were so many cuts and bruises. Christy Thorne, I mean, she played with yeah. one of you guys, and she was awesome. She was amazing. Yes. absolutely amazing. <laughs> like, it was, she was better than any of you. Oh, tell geez, you the we, truth. Were, we were all big, fat, overweight, middle-aged men. You know, it was like she was running circles around yeah. us. But um, no, that was an amazing jury. I, I, I kind of remember all of that, and found out about the letter afterwards. Uh -huh. So um, yeah, yeah, it was kind of like oh, sorry for disappearing off. <laughs> Had a lot of fun. Right, right. Um, so, uh, when, when did you stop doing the Cup of Excellence, kind of, when did you stop being that operations manager? Well, role? I mean, uh, my father kind of, you know, pulled me aside and said, look, you know, I think it's time, it's enough that you've been, you know, playing around, <laughs> time to come back to the farms. I mean, uh, when I took the job, you know, with Cup of Excellence, we are producing on average like 41, 42 quintales, so, uh, it's like 30 bags, you know, per manzana. Yeah. You know, uh, and at that time, you know. That's, that's not bad, is it? I mean, that's, no, that's, 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 that's very pretty good, good production. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, but uh, so when my dad pulled me aside and, and told me to, that I needed to come back, you know, we had gone down to about, you know, uh, 25, 27 quintales. So that's uh, maybe like 18 bags. Wow. You know, so, um, yeah, it, it was uh, oh, a little bit less than half, you know, the that we had we'd gone down on, you know, so I, yeah, basically I had to come back and pay a little bit more attention to the farms and, and be more hands-on, you know, than... So, so your current job in the farms is very much like looking after the production, looking after the farms, right. every, everything before the milling, basically. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm actually involved in a little bit of everything, Okay. you know, um, along with my dad, you know. Well, I didn't dad. want to take away Eliane's like running of the mill, you see, so like... Yes, uh, yes, yes. Well, no, I mean, she, she's done a great job, actually, she's the one who's come up with, with the different, you know, drying methods for, you know, the naturals, you know, the, with elegant, the, 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 the funky, you know, the funkier that you wanted, you know. <laughs> uh, then she implemented, you know, the, the, the black pearl process that we accidentally did, you know, from Honduras. You know, she's been doing a great job becoming more efficient, you know. Uh, we have become more efficient at the mill because of her, yeah. you know, and been able to become more consistent in the different processes that we do, you know, so. I think also there's been an element of, like, the organization as well as, in, like, the little tags that go with all the coffee so they can be followed right. through the process. Exactly. So, I mean, she just seems to have a very kind of, like, ordered and logical minds that, you know, there yes. has to be a process to get to the end point. Exactly. Um, and, and, and track it all the way through because, I mean, yes, you can, you can do it and you can have, okay, find this bag is bag number one. We've got to make sure we get bag number one at the end as well. Yes. You know, but uh, the way that, yeah, the way that she did it, you know, we're able to actually track, you know, where that bag number one is all the way through the process, you know, and, uh, and, and, and basically have that traceability that we need. So, I mean, um, I guess that, that kind of covers a lot of the farm and lots of the, lots of the history. Um, 
I, I can't, it'd be remiss of me because of your involvement so much to not talk about like the Cup of Excellence today and how like there's lots of changes happening. I mean, um, I, how do you feel about like the Nicaragua, for instance? I know as a country that's missed a few Cup of Excellences because of finances, because of organisation, because of the infrastructure. I mean, do you see that there's a vacuum that can be filled there? I mean, how important is Cup of Excellence to Nicaragua today? Do you think? Does it need it? Is it? No, definitely they do. You know, I mean. Uh, I owe myself the Cup of Excellence, you know, I, I figured that I grew, I, I learned so much from it, you know, that it does kind of hurt me to see how things are coming along now. You know, there's a lot of decisions that were made, you know, that I don't agree with, you know. Um, I mean, I think, I, I we, think we, we actually come from a similar place here, because like, I owe the program, like, I wouldn't have this if it wasn't for Cup of Excellence, mm -hmm. like, I wouldn't have met you, I wouldn't have bought your coffee, I wouldn't have had lots of the relationships that we have because of Excellence. I'd probably love the programme. Mm -hmm. And it's more out of concern that I don't think it's necessarily going in the right direction than being nasty or or people, I think they're making all the best intentions. I don't mm -hmm. think there's any malice or, or, or right, impropriety right. at all. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite. I think that they care deeply about the programme mm -hmm. too. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I agree that there has to be a change, you know, to try to move the programme to a next step. Yeah. You know, but uh, I think that some of those steps were taken hastily without really consulting, you know, uh, people how it was going to affect them, you know, or even membership to see if they agreed with it, you know. Um, something that I've always said, I mean, right now, one of the solutions to, to one of the problems, you know, of, you know, which is having actually a higher price per pound, you know, uh, auction, um, is to increase the, the the cupping score, you know, and something that I've seen because I have seen it, you know, since I started, you know, since our first cup of excellence, you know, when working with George Howe, you know, that Jeff Watts was actually, you know, his first cup of excellence during in Nicaragua, you know, uh, that year it was an 80 score, minimum score to be a winner, you know, then they raised it to 82, then they raised it to 84, and now it's 85. But in reality, I mean, I cup a coffee and a cup of excellence, you know, and what everybody thinks is an 85 and it's a cup of excellence winner, I find it. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think it's really, you know, that good. You know, so as you move the minimum cupping score, you know, I think what everybody else does is, in, you know, increase that cupping score as well. You know, and doesn't. And it's, it's not really. It's not the reality of a, of, of of that quality. You know, uh, I've always pushed to say, okay, fine. I mean, most of the countries, you know, what they do use cup of excellence for is a as a sell, is a promotional tool. It's a marketing tool. Not not a not a not a selling tool. No. I mean, uh, so basically, okay, fine. Have your minimum score of eighty five. You know, but say only the best fifteen twenty lots are going to go through auction. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if we had you know a bigger bidder base that could bid for 30, 40 lots, then we wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, well, some of the old, some of the old buyers who, all, who were always around, don't touch it anymore. Like, don't buy Cup of Excellence anymore. And I think that's been... Some, you, it's, it, so for me, there's been a constant change of bias. And I think that's healthy. I think that's yeah. good. But I do question why all of a sudden it stops. And I know personally my buying in Cup of Excellence has slowed down because some of the relationships that I've managed to foster from Cup of Excellence mean that I'm buying higher pointed coffee than some of the samples that I'm cupping in Cup of Excellence. And kind of, because, you know, it comes around to what you were saying about tailoring a coffee to, be, to meet the customer. Mm -hmm. When you suddenly start have, build a relationship, for instance, in Mancillo, I bought 
2007 Cup of Excellence. We then carried on buying it. And we said, actually, we'd like some naturals. We'd like to do this. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're tailoring what I need. Mm-hmm. And I look at the samples from, I mean, obviously not last few years, but before that in Nicaragua and Cup of Excellence and cup them alongside our tailored coffee that is perfect to my needs and go, well, I'm obviously prefer this one to mm-hmm. the Cup of Excellence one. But I don't know how you don't, how we keep, bring those people back in. Like, how do you pull them back to be buyers? So that pool stays topped up with old buyers and new buyers. Well, no, I, I think that if, you know, uh, well, I mean, that, that's really the million dollar question. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'm not asking you to answer it at all, it's very rhetorical. Because <laughs> if I knew that, I'd be phoning up a couple of excellent saying, you should do this, Jeff, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but no, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think that, you know, Right now, the decision to cut down on the countries from Cup of Excellence, you know, and try to solve some problems that Cup of Excellence have has, um, don't really. I don't think they're going to be the solution to the problems of Cup of Excellence. I think there's other problems more, more uh, that more problems that you know Ace should prioritize. You know, the biggest concern from the buyers is that most of most of the coffee laws that they get, you know, are just coming in too late. You know, yes. it's really expensive to ship them because most of the exports are, you know, done. Containers have gone and we've gone. had to air freight out because you know, every so container's gone that we could fill, exactly. you know, consolidate. You know, so uh, you have a whole bunch of these other problems that I think need uh, more of a focus, you know, to in order to attract a lot more, you know, uh, buyers. Yeah. You know, that if uh, you look at the, the other, you know, auctions that are going on, mo- most of them happen much earlier. You know, and the coffees get shipped out much earlier. Yeah. yeah. You know, so uh, I mean, th- th- that's just w- one example. You know, you know, another example is, I mean, right now they they they're going to be designing a new cupping system. You know, uh, electronic cupping form. But you know, one of the countries buy one from the app store. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, w- one of the countries that has an electronic cupping form is the country that they're leaving out. You know, Salvador. You know, so they have Guatemala and Salvador, the only two countries that actually have one and use it. You know, but they're leaving, you know. I think that was the biggest thing that upset me was was particularly Salvador, that one I kind of found out from the concierge, they found out from the letter that there wasn't going to be a cup of excellence and weren't actually told and found out from the press release. Yeah. Uh, but no, also... No, no, that, that's not true. They, they, I mean, they got a phone call. I think the press release was on Friday. They got a phone call Thursday afternoon. Okay. You know, to, uh, I know it was very, very soon after, yes. you know, before, and, like, and it was just like, there was no consultation it's like no, this is what's happening no, no. and El Salvador is a country that I feel needs needs us to help more than ever now mm-hmm. because of the whole leaf rust issue that they have the production exactly. issue they have their yields exactly. are just you know impoverished to where they were I mean halved sometimes even more mm-hmm. um, yeah something that that concerns me you know in is that you know COE when it first I mean the way it, it began and it started you know well obviously let's let's leave it the, you know, to d- discover the quality aspect of it was basically to support the, the the producer. Yeah, it was all about the producer. You know, I think that right now, you know, uh, I have my questions of whether that you know that that's the, whether that's that's a mindset. You know, because if if you decide to leave, you know. Uh, now I'm not fighting for Nicaragua, okay? Right now, Nicaragua's on a fairly dodgy ground, to be fair, isn't it? <laughs> you know, exactly. No, but, but but I'm saying, but but the other countries, you know. So well, okay, let's leave Nicaragua out. Let's, you know, uh, which they have for the last couple of years. Well, no, Nicaragua has only been out one one year. Is it one year? Yeah. Okay. But because of the, the the coffee rust, that was the excuse they gave. The reality is that they didn't have the money to pay for it. Yeah. You know. Um, but anyway, you know. Uh, they should have asked these countries what they thought. 
You know, they should I, explain I, what the what the what the what the what the problems are. You know, I think my other thing was like this: the, the, the know your the solutions are thought of. Of like, why don't an SCAA have all of the samples come together so you don't have to have an international jury flying in? You find the great coffees from there, and they hit a, an auction platform the same. So mm -hmm. you can actually find those great coffees, cutting down the expense and the logistics and the problems, and like just do. You know, four countries in, 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 in SCAA, get a jury together. I think there's lots of people that would have said, if somebody had turned around to me as a member and said, there's a problem, like, I'd be like, I'll help. And I've, I've actually, I've emailed Jeff since it came out, and I've said, like, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me how I need to get involved to make it, you know, to help. Mm -hmm. like, and I think there's lots of people out there that would be really happy to do that. Just not doing it, to me, worries me that it might not happen next year. Because if you don't do something one year, it's really hard to start it again the following. Right. And to get the interest and motivation from producers, mm -hmm. who say, well, you might not do it next year even. Mm -hmm. So why should I keep this lot aside? And yeah, the, the, that's the problem. When you sit out a year, you know, first of all, you know, the, the market forgets about you. Yeah. Okay? Because, I mean, obviously, this, these smaller countries that were left out don't have the... the, the the capital. But look at Bolivia. When Bolivia stopped doing Cup of Excellence, so many people just stopped buying from there. There's right. a very small amount of people that buy Bolivian coffee exactly. now, and production has just gone down and down and down ever since. No, I mean, in in you know, I know a lot of coffee roasters who source their coffees from Rwanda and Burundi, you know, from the Cup of Excellence. Yeah. Not only the coffees they buy from the auction, but the national winners, you know, or any other of the, of the you know the, the 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 wet mills or the central station, Washington, the central washing stations. You know, uh, coffees that they might have, they consolidate and move their coffees that way. You know, so um, I think that this decision that they made were was not, you know, they did not take in consideration the need of the coffee of the coffee producers at that time. You know, in those countries. Now, obviously, I mean, you know, I'm sure I'm sure their argument will be that they have a longer term view to actually, you know, and I exactly. I, I, I will play devil's advocate. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with the hat on, but I'm you know I'm sure that their long term view is that this is going to be better for producers, and this is a whole idea reason for doing it. And I truly believe that, that you know that the people who are involved at board level are good people, mm -hmm. um, that have the best intentions of the program and the countries uh, in mind. I'm still allowed to think that it's not the right decision. <laughs> no, I mean I, I agree with you. I don't think it's the right decision either. You know, I'm not. You know, I really like everybody at the board yeah. level. You know, at, at the organization, I still like the organization. I think everybody's. Allowed, I mean, we're human. We're allowed to make mistakes, right? Uh, but no, I mean, I think that you know that the problems that they say that they have, you know, that Ace has, and the reason why they cut down. You know, I think that they're, yeah, they're there, you know. But they're they, not argument, they're, they're for me priority? the arguments aren't strong enough to not do the program. No, I mean. Uh, they, that, and that's what the, the, when I made my blog post that kind of upset some of the board, um, it was purely at, if there's something else, then tell me. Mm -hmm. But the reasons that you're giving here, I can give you some really easy solutions on how to fix it. You want a cupping form? Somebody responded on my, emailed me from the blog post and said, I will, I will make an electronic cupping form for free for Ace. And I put them in touch with Jeff and they, they have that contact. And they have the skills and ability to build a, an electronic cupping form. So yeah. that one was fixed. The logistics thing, yeah, I get it. It's a problem. But I don't think it's fixed by missing a year because you actually don't get a chance to fix the problem if you don't exactly. do it at all. Exactly. And, and all of the, the protocols, listen, protocols need to be changed, but then don't do any programs at all if that's, like stop everything. Don't do just four easy ones. Mm -hmm. And for me, it seemed like it was the lower hanging fruit 
Um, it was the like we all know Colombia, Brazil, Guatemala, and who was the other Costa Rica. One? Costa Rica. They're, they run themselves. Jeez, mm -hmm. you know they're, they're they're so professional and they've got so much resources and people to to help with them. Yes, they they're adorable. Yeah. No, I mean that's something that that you know I've kind of wished they would have done. You know, is that okay? Fine. You know, they should have presented the problems to the countries and said, okay, you know, we need to lay off a year. You know, how do we do it? You know, they can come up with another solution. You know, it's like, okay, fine, look, you guys, you know, uh, we could hold a program for you, you know, or if you guys want to do it directly, you know, use your, uh, here's the, the, the logo, the, the Cup of Excellence brand, you know. Uh, let's just use a national jury if that's the problem and actually have a competition. So there's something, so buyers, because it could be branded differently, Cup of Excellence national competition or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, come all up, sorts of solutions. Come up with an alternative that doesn't leave the producers out. Something that the market will always, will still have access to, yeah. you know. Um, it really, you know, kind of perplexes me that, you know, both African countries, you know, were left out. And know. it's been so hard to bring those countries in and to wedge Cup of Excellence into Africa. I mean, it really had to be crowbarred in, didn't it? Because mm -hmm. the whole protocol doesn't fit. The payment method, you know, mm -hmm. how do you pay 300 people at a watching <laughs> station, exactly. you know, $15,000? It's, it's really hard, you know. Right, right. Uh, but it was managed to be crowbarred in there. And, yeah. and my biggest fear is that, we won't see those countries come back. We won't see, you know, Burundi and Rwanda come back. We won't see Mexico. But it was struggling as it was. You know, El Salvador and its current predicament really scares me that you know they may not come back. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, as as it is right now, Salvador is is looking into an alternative. Mm. You know, now, you know, uh, what happens if they do find an alternative that works for them? That's you know, cheaper. That's exactly has the same effect for the now, producers. As that, that, that will be great for El Salvador, obviously. You know, and and thank you, Cup of Excellence, for kicking us out and, <laughs> and making us find our own solution in that sense. You know, but you know, what happens when Colombia look at what El Salvador has exactly. done and go, oh well, we could do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Now, obviously, there are a lot, a lot of countries that are, that have want to want to have Cup of Excellence. Yeah. But why haven't they had it in the past? Because they're they're probably not ready. You know, too uh, expensive. You know, too expensive. Uh, a whole bunch of different, you know, uh, reasons. You know, so. Uh, and why do they want to be part of the Cup of Excellence? Is the other thing I ask. Is like, if you've got eleven countries, you want to be the twelfth. You want to be part of that gang. If, exactly. if, if all of a sudden people are fragmenting and doing their own thing, mm -hmm. then the, does that damage the way that those countries will perceive Cup of Excellence? Actually, we don't want to be part of it. We want to do what El Salvador have done. Exactly. And and, and that's my big. And I don't want the program. To, to fall apart because of that, and I think you know, like it means too much, and it's it certainly helped me too much as a. a I mean, he trained me as a copper. Mm -hmm. Like without cup of excellence, I would I wouldn't have half the skills I have as a copper. I wouldn't have, like, these bags around here. I can go around and say this one's from cup of excellence. You know, I met this one from cup of excellence. I yes. met you from cup of excellence. I met such as like, all of those coffees that we have in here have come from that relationship, and I don't want the program to fail. But I'm exactly. really worried it might. Exactly. Um, exactly. And 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 I yeah. I mean, it's gone very quiet since that letter. Like, I, and I, I, I hope that there is some solutions. And I hope that like El Salvador, if they're looking for a platform and they're knocking on Ace's door, I would really hope that they would help them. Um, and you know, I'd really hope that. Yeah. No. I mean, they uh, they approached me and I told them that you know uh, we had to buy an auction plan for them this year for the know, Los for, for Los Favoritos uh, yeah. auction. You know. And I told them they can use it, you know, at, at, at cost. I really, I mean, that, that's not my business. I, I'll lend it to them, you know. 
But the biggest problem there is, uh, you know, is finding the bidders, the you know, get, getting the buyers, you know, getting the 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 brand, uh, you know, a strong brand that they can sell. Now, obviously, if Cup of Excellence says, okay, look, guys, I mean, since you since you know we're leaving you out, but we're allowing you to use the Cup of Excellence brand, or at least you know the logo, you know, I think that would help them out considerably. You know, that's going to help out. You know. Uh, you know, it's going to help convince a lot of the the members, you know, or coffee buyers, that. Uh, I think I think also it's really important to build a strong jury, you know, to make people yes. feel included, to be able to openly cup and get the samples, and, and hopefully all of those things will, will happen with that program. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, they they approached me a few weeks ago and asked me if I'd consider being one of the judges. But I'm like all over that. Like, I'd love to help, yes. um, and just I'd love to help if, like, say. If Jeff Jeff picked up the phone and said, "Like, can you help with that?" I've, I've already said I've offered. There's my. I wouldn't do anything to help um, any program like that because it helps me find amazing coffee. It's very selfish, <laughs> but it's true. Right. It no, but I mean, uh, like we were talking earlier, you know, it's got to be good for both sides. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, obviously, you know, I understand what Cup of what Ace is trying to do. I mean, they're they're fighting for survival, I guess, and yeah. to strengthen the program. You know, but. Uh, you can't uh, sacrifice, you know, long-standing members, mm -hmm. you know, for your survival. I mean, not at the beginning, not this early of a stage. You yeah, know. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like because there was no consultation with the countries or the membership. I felt very much like, like, it doesn't matter. We're just making some decisions, and I think that it needs to involve the membership more. Like I've always felt that the the, the membership side of it. Um, you aren't brought in, you know, you, you, you're respected if, as a buyer and you're respected as a copper, but you're not respected as a member. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you just pay your membership and I've paid the, I, know, I always forget what it's called, but it's like the, the one, not the lifetime member one, but the other one because I don't know, some supporter or something, since 2006. Community supporter, I think. Yeah, it is, yeah. I think it's something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's $3,000 every year because I properly believe in the program. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens next year with four programs? Does that get pro-rated down? Does it? Because you know, I'm not getting eleven programs, I'm getting four. And, right, um, right. Yeah. Well, I think all of those things were just left very unanswered and up in the air. Mm -hmm. But I really hope, personally, that it does it does come out of it stronger and better, and and they achieve all the things they want to achieve. Because the things that they're so. talking about, you know, the logistics side of it is a massive problem. Mm -hmm. You know, containers gone, and to air freight is huge. That needs fixing. Electronic copying forms stop mistakes. Exactly. Because it adds it all up for you. That's a brilliant thing. I mean, I've yeah. seen, I've seen those sheets everywhere and people adding them up and stuff, and it's a nightmare. It's a mess, you know. We're not mathematicians. No, that's, that's we're definitely <laughs> not. I think we proved that time and time again. When um, your first cup of excellence, remember your 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 bunkmate, your roommate, he was adding up coffees at you know, 104, 100. Jeremiah, <laughs> Jeremiah Pick. Oh, God bless him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope Susie remembers that one. Still haven't forgiven her for that. Still haven't. That, that, that's a story for Tampa Tantrum Unplugged at some point, I think. I honestly thought all Cup of Excellences were like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was it. Yeah. That's why you came back, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's why I went to Colombia and got frowned at a lot. <laughs> Such an in-joke. Such an in-joke. Listen, we should wrap it up there. Probably. I don't know how long we've been talking, but I'm sure it's way too long. Um, Thank you. Uh, it's been really interesting. And um, yeah, over and out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.